0: morning, we're going to continue to look at Isaiah chapter 40. In this series, we've been in fresh focus thinking. And um, just before we get into that, as we were singing this morning, a verse came to me from Isaiah chapter 10. And I really do believe that whilst I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit is going to be moving among us. To perform this word. Isaiah chapter 10. Verse 27. Towards the end of that verse. It says this. Talking about the anointing. The power of God. It says this. Because of the anointing. The yoke. Is destroyed. Hallelujah. The anointing. Is the burden relieving. Yoke. Destroying power of God. That's what the anointing is. It's the presence and the power of God himself. The the anointing is the burden relieving, yoke destroying, power of God. And some translations mistranslate what Isaiah said. He said, because of the anointing, the yoke is broken. But the anointing never breaks yokes. It destroys them. You see, if you break a yoke, the enemy can come back and put that yoke back together. If you just break it in pieces, those pieces can be collected. And over time, that yoke can be reassembled and put back on the backs of God's people. But the Bible actually says that the that the, the, the yoke is destroyed because of the anointed. Now, that word destroyed is very different to the word broken, because the picture behind that word destroyed in the Hebrew language is of a material being ground like like fine powder, like grinding a substance and reducing it to dust. You can't reassemble dust. You can't remake it and put back together what was. Now, when the anointing breaks the yoke, it's broke, destroyed forever. When it destroys the yoke, it's not broken. It has no more semblance at all. The Holy Spirit, whatever, whatever yoke... The enemy tries to put on our lives. I tell you now. He's moving here this morning. And he's going to destroy some things. He's going to destroy some things. So just be aware of that. For our good. Those heavy yokes. Those burdens that we've been carrying. Those those things that the enemy may have tried to put on us. I'm telling you now. Right? Whether it's. This morning in this place, or whether it's when you step foot outside, or whether it's in your bedroom tonight when you lay on on your bed, God loves you so much, and you have access to the full vent of that power to relieve you of any issue, any problem, or any burden that you might have, any yoke he's going to destroy. Amen? Amen. So let's be aware of that. Isaiah ten twenty seven, right? Isaiah 10. Faye said it this morning. Paula said it. His goodness, his mercy, takes care. Takes care. And his anointed takes care of any issue that might try to bring you harm. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're continuing this morning. We're going to finish, hopefully today, in Isaiah chapter 40. And as we've been moving through this incredible chapter over the last four weeks, three weeks, we've been picking up on descriptive pictures in which God wanted His people to behold Him. Firstly, we started out by seeing that God wanted His people to behold Him as the God of reconciliation. Then secondly, we looked at how God wanted His people to see Him as the God of Reconstruction. Then thirdly, a week last Sunday, we saw how God wanted His people to see Him as the God of Reassurance. So those three pictures, those three points we've already covered just to bring us up to date of what we've covered so far. And if you've missed any of those messages, you can check them out online and go back be blessed by them. But the fourth picture that we're going to look at today, as seen in Isaiah chapter 40, that God wanted His people to behold Him as, was as the God of revelation. And This morning we're going to see how God elevated Judah's eyes to see things from His viewpoint, and not just from their viewpoint. By revealing himself to them in two ways. Firstly, God assured them in this chapter that he was their shepherd. But at the same time, God showed them that he was not just their shepherd. He also stood outside of time as all-powerful creator. Now, when we look at Isaiah chapter 40 and the 39 chapters before it, We begin to see that Judah, God's people, were not in a good place of life. They hadn't been living well because they hadn't been thinking well. They believed that God had left them. And all of their wrong thoughts left them feeling forgotten and abandoned. They were viewing God through their circumstances, the circumstances that they were in. And as a result of that, they concluded that God didn't care about them. And the lesson from this to all of us today, because it has a current message for every one of our lives, is that we can never arrive at a correct understanding about God from our thoughts, our feelings, or our circumstances, because our thoughts, our feelings, and our circumstances are the most inaccurate means of us rightly understanding who God is. When people allow their thoughts, feelings, and circumstances to determine who God is, as many people do, without realizing it, they end up with a picture of a person exactly like themselves, one who is full of inconsistencies and unstable emotions, happy one moment, cold and distant the next, shifting, changing, and unreliable. But God came to correct Judah's thoughts and feelings about him. And as he corrects them, he corrects us too. By revealing who he was and who he is. You see, God said this a few weeks ago. God isn't who we think he is. God is who he says he is. And firstly, to correct their thinking, to correct their understanding, and their misguided thoughts, God wanted them to know him as a tender, loving Shepherd, one who was close, one who was in constant contact and available, ready to protect, ready to provide on hand for any alarm in life. Listen to Isaiah in ch- chapter 40, verse 11, describing the shepherd in heart of God. This is God. God. As he reveals himself to them. Verse 11. He tends his flock. Like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs. In his arms. And carries them close. To his heart. He gently leads those. That have. Young. What a picture that God wanted to portray to his people about himself. Tending, gathering, and leading are all personal, intimate actions of care. Actions of close involvement. And this revelation of God being as a shepherd is a picture of affectionate love. It was a simple picture. Not a difficult one to understand. A simple picture for Judah to see and embrace in their hearts. The imagery of these words is so simple that a child could understand it and embrace it. Just like a shepherd never disregards the needs of their flock, so God was saying, I know every one of you. I know you. Collectively and individually, I know your needs, I know your wants, I know your desires, I know your concerns, I know your anxieties, your fears, and your worries. I want you to know that I'm there, I care for you, and I will never leave you. Now, picturing God as a shepherd as a lowly shepherd, would have certainly been a great revelation for Judah. A great revelation. Because the most despised vocation to have in those times and in that culture was that of a shepherd. Yet God, on so many occasions throughout biblical history, portrays himself himself repeatedly as a lowly shepherd. Judah's shepherds' boys stayed out in the fields for weeks. Amidst all of the weathers, the shepherds lived and slept among their flock, protecting them, guiding them leading them, not coming home for weeks on end. Their care was consistent. No matter what terrain they faced, no matter what they had to go through, they faithfully led their sheep. They were in the muck with them. They slept with them, all to look after them, under their watchful eye. And that's exactly how God wanted His people to see Him. The living God, gathering lambs in His arms, carrying any weak among them, gently leading in the way in which they should go. But, as quickly as they're allowed to see God as a caring shepherd... Almost immediately, God gave Judah a second revelation of who he was as he lifted their vision from a shepherd in a green pasture leading his flock right up into the heavens from where he reigns, from where he rules all things. Because God wanted his people to see also that he was Not just a shepherd caring for the needs of his sheep, he also inhabits eternity. The lowly shepherd is also the great I Am, the ancient of days, the one who is more than enough. He's in creation amongst his created who he cares for, yet as almighty God he reigns outside of it, having sovereign control over all of the events of this planet and all of the galaxies beyond it. And what we will read from this point on is beyond any human comprehension. Beyond any man or woman's ability to grasp as Isaiah reveals God. The all-powerful creator controlling and ruling things on an incomprehensible scale. As we read the next 11 verses, from verse 11 through to verse 28, we see aspects of God's character that are far outside of anything we could know or understand, and yet Isaiah on God's behalf, puts it out there unashamedly for anyone to take up, believe, and put their trust in. Isaiah 40, verse 11 to verse 15, and then on from verse 21 through to 28 says this, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breath of, breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in the balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him? the right way. Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They're regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. To whom will you compare me or who is my equal? Says the holy one, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them are missing, is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding, no one can fathom. How about that for a revelation? How about having your view elevated by God through His Word spoken to you directly as it was spoken to them? And that's what God did here. He elevated and enlarged their view to see their Creator as all-powerful, as almighty, one that not only walks with them in the lowly passage through life as a shepherd, but one that stands beyond the heavens, sits encircled on the earth as all-powerful creator. And in both pictures, what God is saying to them, he said, I'm for you, I'm with you, haven't forgotten you, I'm there as your shepherd in the difficulties of life to meet your daily needs and protect you. But I want you to know I'm, I'm beyond the immediate needs that this world has, ruling sovereignly over it all. And whether you know me as Almighty Creator or intimately as that shepherd that comes alongside to guide you and lead you, I want you to know I've not forgotten you. I've not disregarded you. I'm with you, I'm for you, I love you. It's the picture that we see. You look out and you listen to the news and sometimes it's easy to listen to comments and you come away reasoning that the world is coursing far outside of control and it's under the, the dictates of a man who hovers his finger over a button. No, it's not. No, it's not. The nations are like a drop in the bucket to him. He exalts princes and he defeats them too. Astronomers estimate that there are, wait for it, a thousand million stars in the Milky Way alone. I haven't counted them, but they have. And outside of that, outside of our solar system, There are millions upon millions of other galaxies, and the most brilliant minds of our time are beyond being able to reach in their mind's eye an understanding about what's around us and what's beyond us we try to build various technologies and equipment to try and and, and probe and peer into the world about us. And we're only seeing, and this is the words of the most knowledgeable people in our world, we're only glimpsing at fractions of the universe's around us. We can't capture it. We can't contain it. Yet Isaiah tells us in verse 26, regarding the stars, the Lord brings out the starry host, one by one, and calls each of them by name. Scientist's Say there's millions upon millions of stars. And beyond our solar system, there's millions upon millions of more, trillions of galaxies that are unknown and are untapped and are unseen. Yet Isaiah talks about our God. See, this is our God, the living God, the God of Israel. Jehovah, Almighty Creator, the Ancient of Days, the Great I Am, the One that splits the seas, the One that quenches the fire, the One that does mind-boggling things that we'll never be able to understand. It's our God that calls out the starry hosts, brings them out one by one and has a name for them. He's the same One that knows the number of hairs that are on your head. Not that he's counted them, but each strand has a number attached to it. He knows when one sparrow falls to the ground. That's our God. And that's the God that Isaiah wanted Judah to see. He tells his people through Isaiah that he had weighed out the earth exactly. It's not a result of chance. It's not a a big bang. It's not an explosion of gases. It's designed. It's weighted. It's weighted, exactly. In the hollow of his hands, he took all of the waters that would be contained in this earth. It's, it's, It's a picture of care. It's a picture of intelligence on a scale that we we, we can never comprehend. He took the waters. When I was in Spain, in the sea, I was thinking about this word. And I cupped my hands together. And I thought, let's see how much we can get in. It was about this much. That's all. And most of it fell through my fingers. Now, all the oceans, all the water systems, he cupped in his hand, he waited out, and he said, that's earth's lot. And he placed it there. All of the dust, he collected and weighed. I believe it. I believe it with all of my heart. Absolutely. Not because I understand it. But I know my God, and you do too, this is our God. This is our God. He sits exalted above the circle of the earth. He stretched out the heavens like a canopy for us to live under. When you are out. Later in the pouring rain, having a walk, look up. Say, thank you. My God, thank you. The heavens are your handiwork. I've often thought, you know, there's as much glory. I I tell you now, there's as much glory. In an ant crawling on your hand. into, Into it. There's there's as much you know what I mean (laughs) design in an ant as there is in the sun and the moon and the stars. This intelligence on a scale that we can never fathom all around us. That's why when I even see a slug I can't step on him anymore. Or a spider. I can't kill them. The kids kill us. I can't. The genius of it. I have to open the the windows for flies. I don't want to swat them. Why? Will you see that little fly flying around the house? I know they're not the cleanest of creatures. But you know what? It can do something that you can't do. So why swat the thing? It's incredible. You may have noticed as we read through those verses how God repeatedly asked his question. Questions. Question after question he poses to his people. At least 20 questions are contained in the verses that we have just read. But God wasn't looking for any answers. He wasn't looking for his people to step forward, put their hand up and say, I know the answer for that one. No, they didn't have any answers to the repeated questions that God was asking them. So why was he asking the questions that Isaiah presented to Judah? Well, very simply, he wanted to provoke them to think. He wanted to awaken a consciousness within them whereby they would realize that God, the living God, was looking over them and looking after them and caring for them on a scale that they would never, ever be able to imagine. He wanted them to think again about His greatness, about His majesty, about His goodness, for them to gain a deeper appreciation of who He was and His love for them. And by revealing His greatness and majesty as Almighty God, the world that overshadowed Judah, that seemed so large and fierce and intimidating and domineering with all of its problems, that seemed so permanent and immovable, that world would no longer seem... To them as all-powerful, as they gained a fresh understanding of the majesty and the greatness of God as their shepherd and as their all-powerful creator, the problems that they faced, the world that they were in, would no longer seem so problematic as they reflected on Him. As they trusted Him, peace would come. Assurance would be given that God was going to do exactly what He had told them He was going to do. Oh, they may have had to have gone through some stuff to arrive at it, but having this revelation unpacked in their heart, God was going to come through. God was going to do exactly what He had spoken In exactly the way that he had said. I think all of us, as we get a bigger understanding of God's greatness, of God's majesty, when we begin to see God, not as we think He is, or as we might feel He is, Or as our circumstances might want to portray him, when we see him as he says he is, as he reveals himself to be, every issue of life gets put into its right place. And we gain a correct perspective. Begin to see that the problems that seem so big are not so big anymore. The mountains that seem so immovable are under his feet, under his control. Because before his greatness, before his majesty, every problem dissolves in light of his countenance. Added to that, when you take to heart scriptures like. If God is for you, who will be against you? I'm more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens me. You take other words from God. You start to walk in the assurance and the confidence of him being at your side. Greater is he that's in you. He's in you. He's in you than he that is in this world. Sometimes we can feel so alone. Sometimes we can feel abandoned, forgotten. But in times like that, what I've found is just gently again, the Holy Spirit pulls back the curtain of my unbelief, pulls back the curtain of my fear, pulls back the curtain of my feelings and my thoughts, and says, there you go. Have a look at that. Take another look. And suddenly you take another look and everything's fine. Hallelujah. Paul prayed, didn't he, for the Ephesians church. He said, I pray, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. That you might have a spirit of wisdom and knowledge and revelation in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. He wanted the veil of unbelief, the veil of fear, the veil of thought and circumstance to be taken away. And he wanted their understanding and the eyes of their understanding to be enlightened with a bigger picture of God's greatness. A bigger picture of his majesty because that would have dramatic effect on how they were living. So it is for all of us. He's the God of revelation, of revelation, of revelation, of revelation. He really is. And we will know him as such. Then finally, the fifth picture that God wanted his people to behold him as was of was as the God of renewal. The God of Renewal, and really now we come into the closing part of this chapter, the God of renewal. From the outset, God wanted His people to firstly see Him as the God of reconciliation. Secondly, we moved a little way down, and we saw that God wanted to see, wanted His people to see Him as the God of reconstruction. Then, you move on a little bit further. You see, God's taking them on a journey. He wanted them to see him as the God of reassurance. And then, we've just seen, he wanted to take them deeper and show him, show them that he was the God of rec- uh, revelation. And now, he wants them to see him as the God of renewal. God doesn't leave us where he finds us. Oh, no. No, it may, may have seemed as if you've been Stuck in one stage for a long time. That's fine. Fine. God's got it sorted. You've not escaped his attention. Now, you may have been in a season, hard season, difficult time, five years, ten, ten years, fifteen years. Jacob was in a season for a long time of his life. But God met him when he was alone, he showed him that he was the God of renewal. By changing his name. Asking, he asked him a question when he wrestled with God all night. What's your name? And suddenly, Jacob honestly just comes before God and he says, I am Jacob. The word Jacob means deceiver, cheat, rip-off Merchant crook and every other bad thing you can imagine (laughs) I'm Jacob that's who I am God loves confession loves it he said hold on that's who you were because now you're going to be called Israel and you know what that means? It means prince with God. Name change, new nature. He meets the God of renewal. On a dark night, when nobody was round, nobody was singing any hymns. There was no Bible reading. But he had a one-on-one encounter with God. And everything changed from that point on. He's the God of of renewal. And this is what you see when you read Isaiah chapter 40, because when you first start reading Isaiah 40, it's plain to see that God's people are far from being free. They were inactive and captive, bound up, apathetic, with no future ahead of them. But God, in His mercy, in His love, Calls for healing. That's what you see, right at the beginning of this great chapter. If you go back and look over it, he calls for healing, comfort, comfort. He says, "My people," and he's—it's—it's it's a deep comfort, not just a comfort in the ear and in the head. It's a deep comfort of the heart, where their wounds are going to be healed. And God called his people to receive this comfort of heart. And after that, you read down through the chapter, and you see how God slowly moves them through into a brand new day to live in a new way that God had called them to live in. So that by the end of the chapter, what you see happening is that these people... That have encountered God, their lives are transformed. Their lives are changed as they encounter the God of renewal. God simply, right at the close of this chapter, reveals to them the secret of how they're going to experience this wonderful change and encounter this wonderful transformation. And it's in one word, wait, wait. Isaiah 40, verse verse 30 to 31 says this, Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The secret of this supernatural life, the secret of this great strength, this infusion of strength and life from God was not in them trying to work things out or in them trying to effect change. No, the secret lay in them waiting, waiting. I asked the Lord once, Lord, said this before. I tell you what, he's fantastic, man. You ask him a question, he will give you an answer that you, you thought would never come. I said to the Lord, just out of my heart one day, I said, Lord, what does it mean to wait on you? Do you know what he said to me? Wait and see. Wait and see. I didn't expect to hear that, but I've remembered that. And kept that in my heart every time I've needed to wait on the Lord. Wait and see. That's what it means to wait on me. Wait and see. And this word, wait and waiting, is not suggesting that we just sit around and do nothing. Just aimlessly striking off days, passing time in hopeless inactivity, apathetic, emotionally low, until God finally arrives and turns up. No, this waiting on God is with focused expectation of faith. This waiting is a waiting that's full of life, full of excitement, because God is the focus, It's an active moment-by-moment trust that we have in God to fulfill all that He's promised in His Word. It's in that that we find our strength renewed. Just wait. Some of you have been waiting, waiting. Waiting in your weariness. Waiting in your Powerlessness, waiting in the condition of life that you can't find answer for. That's right, waiting, a posture of faith, not trying to work things out, not trying to do things in your own strength, but just waiting. He's going to come, he's going to come, and you wait and see what he's going to bring with him as he fulfills the promises that you've been waiting for him to fulfill. It's then that we find our strength renewed. And again, this word renew is, is a wonderful word in the Hebrew language. Because it means to exchange. It's like exchanging and taking off old, worn-out clothes and throwing them away for good, refusing to wear them any longer because now you have a brand new set of clothes to put on. It's taking off weakness and weariness and any other form of distress for the renewing exchange of God's strength. It's a divine exchange an imparting of God's life into our life that transforms every area and every aspect of our lives and the way in which we live. And Isaiah pictured this exactly in the, in the images that he uses. This exchange of strength, he said, is like when an eagle soars into the heavens. With its wings open, it takes up on the thermals into the heights of the heavens. That's what happens. That's the imagery, the parallels that Isaiah uses. Have you ever seen an eagle scurrying around like a chicken? In the chicken coop? All frantic and panicked, making lots of noise. (laughs) I knew Norma would like that. That little chicken in the coop, running around, crazy, mad, panicked, flapping its wings a million times a minute, not even getting half inch off the floor with all of its expended energy. Isn't going anywhere fast. An eagle isn't like that. Eagles are majestic, never panicked or fearful. They use the most adverse winds of the storm for their advantage. When you've received new strength from God, you can use the most adverse circumstances of life for your advantage, to take you higher. You can get to the point where James got, when he rejoiced and counted it all joy when trials just mounted up around him because of the life, energy, and renewed strength that he'd had from God. He knew that every trial and every perplexing problem and circumstance of life would simply cause him to soar. Why? Because his strength was renewed. Eagles use the adversity of the storm and contrary winds just to take them higher, And this life of God enables us to live like that. Isaiah also tells us that there'll be no weariness in our running. Nor will there be any fainting in our walk. Waiting on God renews us. And waiting on God carries great reward i going to ask James to come. I'm going to close in just a few minutes. When I was thinking about this last part of the message this morning, really, it came to me. Just in relation to God being the God of renewal. My mind went back to that awful time when the disciples came face to face with seeing Jesus crucified on the cross. Not only did it reveal the horrid nature of our world in which we live and the powers of darkness, but it also revealed in these men, young men that loved Jesus so much, walked with Him, out on the hillside with Him, watched Him do all of His miracles, Hang on every word. That moment when Christ died on the cross not only revealed the awful nature of the world in which we live, but it revealed a weakness and a defeat and a vulnerability within these young men that had high hopes for their future, that had lived with Jesus for three years and walked with him When they beheld him on that cross, they just ran for their own lives to save their own skin. Peter denied him three times. You talk about being weary. You talk about being weak. You talk about being powerless. You talk about coming down with a bang. And they were all scattered. They were all just going back to their old vocations that they'd formerly left. Must have got it wrong. Hearts heavy. Broken. Broken. And yet, just as Jesus said, three days later, on point, right in the timing of God, He rose from the dead, resurrected. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords rises from the dead and there's whispers going round. He's alive. Maybe there was a a fresh sense of excitement and urgency just to check out the facts to see if it was true. And they're behind closed doors. Tightly locked up. It's a picture of inactivity. A picture of captivity. A picture just like Isaiah saw on a larger scale with Judah. They were locked up behind closed doors. And the Bible says for fear of the Jews. The religious, not the Jewish people. The religious authorities that had killed Jesus, captive, inactive, possibly heavy-hearted, apathetic. And then suddenly, what happens? Jesus didn't knock the door. He just walked through the wall, as you do. Straight through it. Stood in their midst. And what did he say? Peace. Not, where were you? Why did you leave? I thought you promised you were going to stay with me. No. Smiling. Eyes full of life. Knowing their weakness, just like he knows ours. Knowing their inconsistency and their up and down pattern of life. He said, peace. Peace and the joy is restored the joy is restored but maybe in their mind they thought well I don't know if God can use me again I don't know if he can I've made a major major blunder here, failed cursed I don't know if God can use me well What was the word? What's the word that came to them from the lips of Jesus? I'll tell you what it was. Wait in Jerusalem. Wait. Just wait. Wait a little while because things are going to work out. Wait a little while because your strength is going to be renewed. Wait a little while because you've been like chickens in the coop. That's all some of you are gonna remember this morning. You've been like chickens in the coop, flapping your wings in your own strength, trying to rise high, and you're not even getting you're not even getting half inch off the floor. You're panicked, you're full of fear. Wait, wait. Because you're gonna rise up with wings as of eagles. You're gonna run this time, Peter, you're never gonna be weary again. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna walk, John. You're not gonna faint. None of you are gonna faint. Your strength is going to be renewed. Luke 24, 49 says this. Jesus' words, behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But there's the condition there. But wait. Don't try to work this out now. You gotta wait. You gotta wait with a fresh expectation, with a renewed excitement in relation to the promise that I've spoken, the Holy Spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit is going to empower you. He's going to envelop you. He's going to clothe you with power from on high. But wait, he says, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. They waited 40 days in an upper room praying together then on the day of Pentecost Acts chapter 2 suddenly like a violent rushing wind the Holy Spirit came filled the whole house tongues of fire sat on each and every head they couldn't contain it they burst out onto the street in the middle of Pentecost Hundreds of thousands of people of all nationalities were there, and these people began to hear this 120 that had been infused and empowered from on high with the power of the Holy Ghost speak in their own language. And over 3,000 people got saved that day. Next, we see 5,000 getting saved, and then next. There's an untold number as they just begin, They stop counting and they just begin to say, the Lord added to our number every day. Imagine that. Imagine seeing that with your eyes in Wales. Imagine that. Imagine that. My God. You read the entire book of Acts. And you'll see, you will see that God fulfilled his promise. And they soared with wings as of eagles. They used every adversity for their advantage. They ran and they never grew weary. They walked and they never grew faint as the gospel was spread right across the earth. Amen. 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 Isaiah's words hold great lessons for all of us today. Maybe for some of us this morning, we need to understand again that he's our shepherd. He's our shepherd. I can tell you one night the Lord came to me in a very powerful way. And he said this, I'm your shepherd, you'll never lack anything. That was many years ago. I'm telling you, I've never lacked anything. I've never, not because of me. Believe me. Because of him. And because of what he said. You may need to know him as your shepherd this morning. He's going to look after you, man. Protect you, provide for you. Whatever you need, the shepherd. The shepherd is the caretaker of your soul. You're going to know him as your shepherd. Others of us may need to know Him in a bigger, larger way that's outside of our world, sovereignly controlling and ruling. We need to rethink maybe how we think about things. And the news might be bad, but I'm telling you now, He's full of good news. We keep our eyes on Him. For others of us, We may need to just be in that place of waiting. Not a place of apathy or inactivity or negativity, but just waiting. Rediscovering an excitement within our spirit. Not some person trying to talk you up and inflate you. No, just rediscover quietly as you wait on him. Fresh word, fresh promise. Fresh purpose for your life. And as you do, your strength will be renewed. You'll rise. You'll rise with wings as of eagles. Every adversity that faces you will be an advantage to you. You'll thank Him for it. You'll say, Lord, bring them on. Because every time you do, I go higher. It's not pleasant. It's hard. But do you know what? Thank you for that. Because I've just gone higher in you. You look at things. Differently, there'll be an exchange, an exchange, an exchange. I think we all need this one. An exchange of our weakness, of our weariness, of our worries, of our, our anxieties for his strength. The putting off of the old clothes that we've worn. Old clothes, poor, threadbare rags. put them off and just exchange them. For the wonderful garments that he provides. Amen. Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask some musicians and singers to come. Holy Spirit, your people are so precious. Precious. Our lives are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Not the price of silver and gold. But with the precious blood of Jesus, there's blood on your life. You've been purchased, redeemed by His blood. You are an object of His care. You are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. His eyes are upon the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. Your very name is inscribed in the palms of His hands. He can never forget you. He can never abandon you. He will never forsake or leave you. And Lord, I pray this morning that as we've listened to your word and considered it in our minds, Holy Spirit, I pray right now you would breathe on it all, infuse us with your life and an excitement For your word and your promise. Because Lord, all of it is yes and amen. In Christ Jesus. Amen.